Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by our senior fellow Dr Bryce Wilkinson and Emeritus Professor Gary Hawke of Victoria University of Wellington. Today we're talking about our recent publication, Illusions of History, How Misunderstanding the Past Jeopardises Our Future. Bryce, what inspired you to write this publication about New Zealand's economic history? Uh, The report was motivated by the Minister of Finance's budget 2020 speech, where at the end of it he observed that with the arrival of COVID um, and emergency powers by the government, uh, it was an unusual, perhaps once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hit the reset button for New Zealanders. Well, that's potentially of great significance for New Zealanders if their lives are going to be changed permanently in some direction. So the question was, in what direction was uh, the Minister thinking of taking us all? And he explained that direction, and it was to build on what he called the great traditions of the first Labour government, which took office, uh, many people will know, in 1935 in a landslide election, which followed the Great Depression, which was at its bottom in in the 1930s. And he elaborated that the um, great traditions included uh, big public works, spending on roads and rail, houses, and building the welfare state, and a, a strong focus on community and optimism about the future. And in the same speech, he also set out the direction which he um, would not take. And although he didn't mention the policies of the the fourth uh, Labour government, he attacked the policies of that time, which he saw as causing carnage and misery. Both those interpretations of the past struck us as worth questioning and worth examining and possibly dubious. And that is what the report is about. One chapter addresses the policies of the 1935 Labour government and the next chapter um, addresses the issues which led to the 1984 foreign exchange crises and the subsequent painful reforms. Fantastic. So it's a report about myth-busting the illusions of history, the the myths that have been created about New Zealand's economic past. We were very fortunate to have Professor Gary Hawke contribute the foreword to this report. He's written numerous books about economic history and was previously the head of the School of Government at Victoria University in Wellington. Professor Hawke, growing up I was taught that the first Labour government introduced the welfare state, they built a lot of houses, they really looked after people. Is there is that a bit of a myth? Not entirely a myth. The first Labour government, it built on a surge of optimism. As one of my predecessors in the Chair of Economic History at Victoria University said, it was fortunate in its electoral timing. It came into office as New Zealand was coming out of the Depression, and it built on that. It built on a surge of optimism which made people a, a bit more hopeful about the, about the future. But, as always, there was a great deal of continuity between the first Labour government and its, and its predecessors going back over, over many years. Uh, some of the more radical changes in the 1930s were in fact done by the coalition government 
uh, which preceded the, the Labour government. The State House building was one of the features of the first Labour government, but it didn't really get underway until 1938. It was quite a lengthy period of, of preparation before that happened. And that was true of the uh, other initiatives towards public investment as well in the 1930s. So continuity, some change, but uh, not, not a, a sudden and dramatic change. Right. Coming back to you, Bryce, what were some of the largest myths that you managed to find in, in doing this research? The, the big contrast between the situation today and therefore what the economic strategy should be today uh, and the situation which has been invoked, which the uh, 1935 Labour government tackled, and the situation which the 1984 Labour government tackled. So the context of the circumstances at the time really matters. And the current context of big deficit spending and borrowing from the Reserve Bank isn't something which the first Labour government was doing on the best measure of the time on the consolidated revenue account. It actually uh, was lucky to inherit big increases in tax revenues and it it spent um, a lot but it didn't spend more than it got in. So it was running surpluses on the best measure of, of operating balance at that time. And as became apparent, uh, Walter Nash, the Minister of Finance, became strongly averse to uh, overseas borrowing, um, to finance government spending. So that's the, the next big thing is, is that this government's been looking at running deficits even before COVID struck it was spending increasing spending faster than revenue and uh, in danger of running into deficits if there if there was a nasty shock and COVID-19 was a nasty shock but the perhaps the biggest one is the character our biggest myth is the characterization of the policies of the um, post-1984 reform policies as causing economic carnage and, and unemployment. They were certainly, that certainly happened, um, the unemployment in that time, but the cause uh, has to go back earlier to the foreign exchange crises, which uh, were precipitated in part by the first Labour government in 1938 and, uh, and fully by um, the Labour and national governments prior to 1984, which got into deficit spending because of big rises in, in world oil prices in good part and couldn't get themselves out of it and just had spiralling public debt. So the, the comment in, in the analysis there for, of that period is that Robertson, by blaming the carnage on the reforms, is essentially like someone who blames the cleaners for the mess caused by the previous night's riotous party-goers. <laughs> I thought there was quite, a, quite an apt metaphor there. Coming back to you, uh, Professor Hawke, one of the interesting things in this report, for me at least, has been learning more about the character of then-Finance Minister Walter Nash. Uh, so the, the first Labour government was characterised by quite spendthrift policies, but is there a case to, to be made for um, Walter Nash having been a bit more of a fiscal conservative than he's made out to be? 
Uh, he certainly was a fiscal conservative. Uh, he was a shopkeeper from Kidderminster in the West Midlands. Uh, who in, in became a small shopkeeper in, in New Zealand, and that really did inform his, his views from that point onwards. He was also a strongly religious man, and he didn't like debt in particular, but he specifically came to dislike overseas debt and borrowing from, from banks. I think it would be fair to say he was very distinctly a, a fiscal conservative. The first Labour government uh, was divided. All governments, our coalitions, with, with varying elements of thinking in, in forming them. Uh, within the Labour Party in the 1930s, there was a substantial element of people who favoured uh, a large-scale expansion in government expenditure. This was the origin of what became the Social Credit Party in, uh, in New Zealand. But Nash was never part of that and Nash kept a very firm control over fiscal policy in the, in, in the 1930s. It was really the experience of the exchange crisis in 1938 and the fact that he was busy having to uh, secure support, especially from the Bank of England, but also from English banks in the 1930s, which informed his, his, his view that overseas debt, debt from banks, should be avoided at all costs. That's quite fascinating. It sounds like then the current Minister of Finance is being quite selective about his, his use of history. I wouldn't say selective. He's, he he is, is simply rehearsing what is a fairly standard uh, picture of the, of the 1930s. It, but it, it is substantially myth. Um, these, these myths do grow up afterwards uh, and people reinterpret and uh, reshape what they see as history, simply putting in, into it uh, what has come to be generally believed. The whole picture of the 1930s is, in, in much of our understanding, is, is very misleading. There's a general picture of uh, the small community beleaguered, acting together, resisting overseas influences. There's an element of truth in that. But in fact, the New Zealand community was very divided, as you would expect in a substantial community of one and a half million. And it was far from, from experiencing hardship alone. The 1930s, after all, were characterised by the growth of motor vehicles in New Zealand. If you look at pictures of the 1930s, you, one should look at some of the pictures of crowds at horse races, and you'll see plenty of luxurious clothing, and you'll see people enjoying themselves. Uh, there were people struggling, but it was the, the difference in, in the experience of people which made the, the community uh, very much more sensitive to what was happening ar around about it. The picture was built also on a, a sense of insecurity. Uh, the, the worry was not that everybody was struggling and having difficulty uh, making their, their lives satisfying. Uh, the point was that they knew there was a group of people in the community, the unemployed, um, some of the some small farmers and some substantial farmers in, in particular. And, and the worry was that the hardship being experienced by some would spread to many more. And it's that sense of insecurity which the achievement of the first Labour government was, was to remove. That, rather than any substantial progress in, in the economy, was what it really did achieve. 
Right, picking up on that point about poverty, so the, the first Labor government really had quite a large focus on reducing poverty as they thought otherwise it could spread to the rest of society. In the foreword to this report, you, you contrasted this with today's notions of uh, income inequality, the ability to participate, or the modern idea of the welfare state. Um, would you like to elaborate on that point a little bit more? In the 1930s, people didn't have the amount of statistical information which we have available today. We're never satisfied. Economists especially are never satisfied with the amount of information, statistical information, which is available. But there's a lot more today than there was in the 1930s. So that the, the measure of, of, of income distribution was very much more imprecise in the, in the 1930s. One, one didn't have a, a, a sense of a distribution in the same way as we have now. People didn't think in terms of Gini coefficients. So poverty was something which was a, a matter of a, a smaller group within community society. Walter Nash always used the phrase, the age, the sick, the poor, and... The, the invalids, yeah. Yes, I mean, that was the, the sense. And you'll notice there's a certain biblical element in the actual phraseology which he, he used. So it's not the sort of thing which we are thinking of today, which is an income distribution as a whole. On the other hand, people were very aware of notions of equality, but it was equality in the sense of standing in society, a, a reputation, the, the notion of uh, everybody being judged by what they did rather than by what they inherited was very much common in, in, the, in the 1930s. And when people talked about equality in, in the 1930s, that was what they were referring to rather than to the modern concept of income distribution. Right, that's a really interesting point to pick up because I think the differences in meaning between now and back during the first Labour government are quite significant. Bryce, what would you say about the relevance uh, for today of the Minister of Finance extolling the first Labour government's uh, activities of building houses, rail and roads, creating a stronger public health system? Well, the government today is, is far bigger and more active uh, than it was in the 1930s. And to some degree, the government's already tried that path with, with Kiwi Build, which was a big state house, uh, planned state house sort of building program, and it hasn't worked. Nationalisations of, of many industries didn't work very well, and import protectionism certainly didn't work well. The, um, the health system, um, the minister referred to the 1934-5 Labour government as building a strong public health system. We're uh, experiencing you know, lockdowns now in good part because the capacity of the intensive care part of the public health system isn't there and the public health system has been struggling. The Prime Minister, I heard her say before the, the last general election, uh, that our health system is broke. And I guess she had to say that because the, the government's planning to turn the system on its head yet again. And so she, she had to say it's not performing well. And yet the current difficulties they're struggling with uh, are precipitated by the Labour government in the 2000s, which abolished the overall directing health agency, the, the one which was coordinating and overseeing all the um, district health boards, 
And um, the government today has had to wrestle with the problem of the district health board sort of operating to some degree as independent um, entities with their own preoccupations, their own difficulties. And the lack of a, a coordinated and overseeing authority is something which the, the proposed health reforms is going to remedy, complicating it with a, a separate Māori health authority with overlapping responsibilities to some degree. The welfare system today, of course, is vastly larger than it was in the 1935's Labour government time. So to extol what it did in its circumstances isn't a good reason for cranking up the effort in the same areas today by this government. Um, expansion of roads, that is something which was clearly needed in Auckland, given the congestion problems there. But congestion pricing would be a good help there as well. Government's got a, an objective of reducing greenhouse gas um, emissions, and the transport sector's part of that. So it's, it's pulled in conflicting directions. There, there aren't simple solutions. And there's certainly no reason to, to think that um, going back to the 1935 Labour government and increasing government spending on all those areas on top of its existing base is the right way to go. All right, that's fascinating. Thank you both so much for joining the podcast. A special thanks to Professor Gary Hawke, who contributed the foreword. Illusions of History can be found on the New Zealand Initiative website. Uh, thanks again for joining us. stay up to date with our latest research opinions and events sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz